This podcast is brought to you by public.com, the investing social network. Public is a free app where you can own the companies you believe in and share ideas in a community of investors. There are a few investing apps out there, but here's what's different about public. There are social features that allow people to share and discover new ideas, and the app supports responsible investing habits, so they don't encourage day trading, nor do they offer margin accounts or options. Features like safety labels on potentially risky stocks give members more complete context. Public has also opted out of payment for order flow, so they don't sell your trades to third parties. Public's community is about 40% women and 45% people of color, so its members come from all sorts of backgrounds and walks of life. Conversations on public span deep dives into new IPOs, as well as general insights on financial wellness and category trends. You can even use group chats to build investing clubs with your friends. Head over to public.com to sign up and start with a free slice of stock. Get going with as little as $1, and if you're looking to transfer your portfolio over from another brokerage, they'll even cover fees for accounts valued at over $150. Some fine print, valid for U.S. residents 18 years and older, and subject to account approval. See public.com slash disclosures. Hi, everyone. It's Julie Verhage Greenberg here with your Tux Time podcast from Fintech Today, where we talk about all things fintech. In this episode, I am joined by Craig Lewis of GigWage, a startup he co-founded. And I'm excited to dive into this just because there's been so many changes in the gig economy, not only over the past year and a half with COVID, but just over the last, I don't know, like four or five years in general. So I'm so excited to dive in with, to this with you, Craig. How are you? I'm doing amazing. Thanks for having me on. Of course. So why don't we start off by just um, having you explain what gig wage is because i think there's some people that might be listening that might not know just because you guys are a newer company but you have a lot of exciting partnerships and things going on awesome yeah no so gig wage is a basically in the simplest form it's a payroll company for the gig economy right and so we help businesses pay uh, gig workers freelancers independent contractors how they want to be paid when they want to be paid and where they want to be paid and so we provide technology not only to the businesses but also to the workers and so We've kind of got this comprehensive end-to-end financial solution uh, for the entire gig economy. Also, what gave you the idea to dive into this? Because I usually find when I ask founders this question, there's something that happened in their life where they're like, you know what, this is a problem and I'm going to solve it. Yeah, I, I, I've uh, been asked that a lot and I can definitely back into something more cool, but I'm going to give you the real story first. So <laughs> we launched as a different type of payroll uh, platform. I'm a longtime payroll guy, used to work at ADP, and I've seen every type of niche of payroll you could think of. And uh, we had this other niche that we were pursuing and, you know, the entrepreneurial journey, we struggled and tried to ship product and build the right team and find product market fit. And uh, kind of at the end of like, getting ready to maybe give up, I hate to say that word, but I was like, I don't know if this product is going to happen. I read this article from McKinsey about the global independent workforce, aka the gig economy. And it dawned on me, one, it was a massively growing industry and no one had really established themselves as the payroll company for the gig economy. And so we pivoted, rebranded, brought in a new team, built new technology. Uh, and then as we headed on that path, though, Julie, 
you know, I realized my dad, he, you know, he was a truck driver uh, and, and, and kind of took care of our family for years as an independent contractor for, for a myriad of reasons there. Uh, my brother has been in the independent contractor space, more like nightlife, entertainment, security type stuff. My grandmother, you know, and so I started to kind of connect the dots. But uh, the real reason is I have a passion for paying people um, and helping people get paid. And um, we found a, a, a niche somewhat in a really large industry. So when someone is using GigWage, talk to me about how this works. Would it be me as FinTech Today using GigWage to pay my contract workers? Would you be like software that another company enables and I'm not even really knowing that I'm getting paid through GigWage? Talk to me about like the back end of it a little bit. All of the above, right? So we started off exactly as that, like a web application for a small or medium-sized business to log in and do payroll, right? Pay independent contractors specifically. And that comes with its own nuances and differences, very different than paying traditional employees. Over time, we've evolved to kind of just meet our customers where they are. We realized there was no infrastructure for the companies to do this. And so not only are we a web uh, play, but we've, you know, we're an API, um, you know, we've got embedded widgets and UI. So kind of we meet our customers where they are. But at the end of the day, however, the company needs to interact with us to pay their workers. And so we do a lot of stuff with large platforms, VC backed companies that are very tech enabled. So they, you know, they're API centric. Um, but we also do a lot with middle America, right? Where there's a lot of S uh, CSV files and Excel spreadsheets and uploading. And so automating as much of that for them as well. So any kind of business, small, medium, uh, large enterprises, tech companies, we can enable them to pay all types of 1099 workers. And something we've been seeing happen more recently is that companies that do have a lot of gig workers are making it so employees can get paid on a daily basis, something where they're not waiting two weeks um, to get their payroll or, you know, getting paid twice a month, whatever it might be, getting paid on a more immediate basis, which... I've, I love that mostly because I think a lot of gig workers are ones that really do depend on each paycheck and sometimes have to go get a payday loan or something else in order to make ends meet before that paycheck comes, if it is a two-week or longer period. Um, how are you guys thinking about that? Yeah, so one of the things we noticed was the onus is typically, you, you know, the if oversimplified, we say, yes, the companies are making it available for people to get paid early, get paid on demand, get paid every day. But actually, the onus has been um, on the worker, right? They have to pay for early wage access, even the, in the non-predatory sense. So forget payday loans and check cashing places. So like even when the, the companies have these prepaid products, the, the, company, the worker has to pay for that um, and manage that and sign up for that. And it's infrastructure that's bolted on to the company. What GigWage does is we allow people, uh, companies that use our product, it's actually built into the payroll system. So instead of people pulling their money on demand, if you will, or pulling it early, we enable the companies to be able to just push money on demand, um, which is infrastructure that really wasn't in place, right? And when I say that, I mean from the kind of nucleus of the payroll system, not like a disbursement platform bolted onto your current payroll application. You're literally managing your people, you're managing your payments and your payroll all from a single application. And so you can do instant payments directly out of GigWage. You don't need another partner. Um, you can do basic, you know, direct deposit out of GigWage. You don't need another partner. And the workers can now get paid. They don't have to sign up for anything new. They can get paid when they want to get paid, where they want to get paid, how they want to get paid. If they've got a debit card already, they can use it. If they've got a direct deposit bank account, they can use it. You know, cash pickup, they can do it. And so 
we've just kind of moved everything up the stack and given the companies the capability to go out and compete for this talent. Because to your point, people want to be paid on demand, fast and flexibly. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a big selling point for companies too. If you're someone that like, hey, I know you could go to my competitor, but guess what? You're going to get paid early with me. You should come here instead. I think that'd be a massive reason to go to that company versus or, the other. Or you're losing the talent because they're, uh, the competition is already paying them faster. And so we see customers when they come to gig wage, you know, they're seeing 50 plus percent of their workforce. They may have all of these unique advantages. They may pay a higher rate. They may have, you know, all of these things. But if you can't pay someone on demand, when they need on-demand money, they're going to go where they can get it on demand. And so oftentimes when customers come to us, they find that, you know, adding on-demand and still remaining flexible, right? Not forcing people to use one particular product or disbursement card platform. It's it's really rare and hard and difficult. So, um, yeah, we, we've been doing pretty well with our model. Uh, talking about fundraising and whatnot, when you go out to venture capital firms and others that might want to invest in gig wage, how are you pitching gig wage to them? Is it a SaaS company? Is it a payroll company? Is it a mix of both? Something else? Yeah. So we talk about first and foremost, our purpose, which is economic empowerment. Um, and then, you know, the vision though, is to build the bank of the gig economy and payroll is the wedge. So, and all of that's driven by technology. And so ultimately we're talking about financial infrastructure for the future of work in the modern workforce. Um, and so that's really what we see ourselves, you know, as we've evolved into more of an infrastructure play, really the rails that all the money in the gig economy moves on. Um, but payroll is like this really unique wedge that we lead with and it's, it, it resonates pretty well. Um, I think when you look on the back end of that type of scale though, where people really get excited of, when you think of payroll as the entry point, and the financial rails as kind of the medium. On the other side of that, we have the ability to really be in a position to uniquely fund and finance the modern workforce and the entire future of work. So you talk about a suite of lending products based off of income and money movement. And so that's what the, you know, the, you know, you're not going to see that on our website because our customers don't care about all that today. But, you know, in the VC community, that really starts to resonate when you think about truly being a modern bank for this sector with, you know, trillions of dollars of, of GDP right now. And your customers might not directly, you know, care about it right now, but the people that are working for your customers might care about it a lot in the future. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because they're, you know, they're underbanked, they're underserved, they can't get access to basic financial services, definitely can't get loans. We do a thing now called a proof of income report. It's, it's really basic, but it's genius and innovative in that people are able to now easily get access to their earnings, their work history, be able to get loans, student loans, credit cards, et cetera, because of this proof of income report, because of this aggregate of data that they have in their gig wage account. And so that's kind of like step one that really opened our eyes and said, well, not only could we help people get these loans, but we've got the data, we could finance the loans too, right? Um, so it gets really interesting. On that front, you led me very well into the next topic here. I want to talk about how COVID changed your business and the things that people were asking for from gig wage. Because I think, you know, the gig economy in particular, if you were an Uber driver, I'm sure that your business slowed down dramatically when everyone was just staying at home. Maybe if you were an Uber driver delivering food, that didn't slow down quite as much. But I think just the dynamics of it changed drastically over the past year. And even though it, it's going to come back a bit towards normal, it's never going to be exactly the same. And I think that gig wage could probably play a really big role here. Yeah. So one of the things we, we've always talked about is, you know, gig is sexy, right? Gig economy, gig wage, all good. 
But the independent contractor community has been around forever, and it's extremely horizontal across our workforce. Um, and so when COVID hit, it wasn't just about, you know, rideshare. We actually didn't have a lot of exposure to rideshare. We do a little bit of business with Lyft, um, but we have a ton of exposure to delivery. <laughs> so, so we actually were a COVID beneficiary from a delivery perspective, not only our current delivery businesses, but, you know, uh, other uh, businesses adding delivery infrastructure and then really realizing they needed delivery payment methodology, right? And so we were a beneficiary there. We're a 100% remote team. So operationally, we didn't miss a beat. Um, we were already remote, had everything in place, always have been since the inception of the company. Um, and then, you know, in these non kind of sexy, right, delivery type industries and on-demand industries, you you look at, you know, all types of companies, inspectors, adjusters, appraisers, all these different types of 1099 independent contract workers, uh, people really started to evaluate what was essential, how people were classified. And we were able to kind of be a, you know, really consultative option that could bring technology to the table to help people do what they were trying to get accomplished. I'll give you a great example. We had a pretty large uh, uh, car delivery service. They, they, they would work with auctions to deliver the cars from the auction to the home or from the auction to the car lot. And the drivers um, were people that they wanted to get paid. Pre-pandemic, they were W-2s. Post-pandemic, the company had made a decision to move them to uh, independent contractors. And the workers wanted to start um, getting paid as LLCs. And so we had the capability, technology, and, you know, really the guidance to help that happen. And so now within gigways, like when an independent contractor signs up, they can choose qu quite simply with the click of a button. Do you want to be paid as a person with your social security number or do you want to be per paid as person LLC with your EIN? So little, little tweaks like that that we were able to kind of add really quickly uh, during the pandemic so people could, you know, AB5 was a big deal and Prop 22 and classification became a big issue during COVID. Um, and so uh, we've been a beneficiary and we want to continue to kind of lead the conversation on that front. Something else that I want to ask you, and you, you mentioned that you guys are 100 uh, percent remote workforce. Uh, you sent out a tweet a couple of days ago talking about the n people in your company that you've never even met in person before. It's the chief strategy officer, VP of finance, customer success manager, and a slew of others that are in there as well. What advice do you have for someone that is either starting a new job or for someone like me that is now running a company that is also 100% remote? Because I think that, you know, I, I've interviewed people over the last few days that also started new careers or new jobs during the pandemic at different companies. And there's a lot that's different about joining a company when you never get to meet anybody versus like going and sitting at a desk where you're right by everyone, having meetings in person, one-on-ones, getting to know your manager and all that kind of stuff that comes with what the, the workforce looked like before the pandemic. Sure. Yeah. I think one clear distinction I want to make is we're remote and I may have said when I, we're remote first, right? So we do, uh, we're headquartered in Dallas and we have, you know, a, a bucket of people that do come here and people are more than welcome to come to an office. Um, so we, we want to be flexible, right? Um, but we're pri prim primarily remote. And I think the thing that are that's important there is to really start to understand your communication norms. Um, we often talk about Slack as our office, right? And so, because it's really easy to kind of get buried in your home and just be heads down and working. And we want to make sure people are interacting and having conversations. We do a ton of video. I think we need to start tracking video because we do between Slack and Zoom. 
we do a ton, a ton of videos. Sometimes people just kind of get on a call and work, even if it's not a meeting, right? Just, just to have those interactions. Um, we've got an all hands meeting tonight and we've sent out, you know, gift boxes and champagne and we'll all be online. And so I think it's super important to put culture and communication at the front of it. Don't ignore it just because you're remote. You still have to be very intentional about it. Uh, Carolina, who is our director of people and culture, is all over it, right? We want to make sure people still feel connected, um, even if they are remote. But don't sleep on the benefits of being remote. Like people really bust their butts and work hard and they can, you know, roll out of bed and get to work. You know, there's a ton of benefits to it. and, and, And I think embracing those as either an employee or a founder is important, right? And so um, as millennials, as we continue, I'm an old millennial, I barely made the cut, Julie. Uh, But as we continue to kind of dominate the workforce and as Gen Z enters the workforce and, you know, even X and boomers are, you know, kind of finding this new way of working interesting, I think people should just embrace it and be really intentional about it, right? Um, Don't just say, oh, that can't be accomplished because we're remote. Something else you've done during the pandemic is strike up a number of new partnerships. And I believe you even raised a round of funding that might have been like towards the beginning of the pandemic. I forget exactly when you guys announced it, but talk to me a little bit about the partnerships you guys are working on and what we can expect from you guys in the future there. Yeah, a number of partnerships. I think the the, the biggest one and most notable one is our partnership with Green Dot. They um, committed to leading our Series A at the beginning, near the early part of the pandemic and the shutdown. and uh, we were very uh, diligent about picking the right investors, and we closed it kind of at the end of 2020. Included the uh, Foundry Group, uh, Bradfeld and Seth and Chris and Jacqueline and all those great people over there. And then we have Continental Investors, which is uh, Paul Purcell and Phil Purcell, the Discover Family Office. I think a lot of people know that from a financial perspective. And Rise of the Rest and Tech Stars and some great angel investors, uh, specifically around fintech. Um, some great, great fintech angel investors. So yeah, we put that round together and it was led by Green Dot. And we love that we're working with Green Dot because we've gotten really close to them. We feel like we have the full weight of, you know, this publicly traded company behind us. They've really embraced us. It's not just a financial transaction. Um, You know, Dan Henry, who I think you've had on the show, he and I have done sales calls together. So think about that, right? Like, you know, that that's really rare. And so we've got a great partnership with them. There's some product coming out. We're going to be releasing a gig wage debit card powered by GoToBank um, and, and lots and lots and lots of fun stuff coming out with gig wage and Green Dot collaboratively over the next three, six uh, to nine months. So super excited about that partnership. Some people I think were a little bit shocked that you guys not only let them lead your round, but are partnering so much with them because they would have viewed Green Dot as a big competitor mm. to you. What do you say to that? <laughs> yeah. When when, uh, when I brought it back to my team, one of my VPs was like, uh, aren't they our largest competitor? <laughs> like, uh, you know, Green Dot, uh, they power uh, the Uber debit card. They power uh, Amazon Flex card. Uh, I've always been a, a big contrarian on competition. I, I I think every single person you could tell me that is our competition, I can show you a really clear path to collaborating and partnering with them. Um, and so that's just really been my philosophy and my view. And I took that same approach with Green Dot. And so um, there is a a very clear kind of delineation from the types of companies that we can help and Green Dot's ability to support us there. And so where a lot of people do see competition, I've always embraced collaboration. And I think, uh, you know, over this last year with Green Dot, we've just proved that time and time again. And interestingly enough, we're almost starting to, 
you know, we, we become like a channel for Green Dot, right? We're like the gig economy arm for Green Dot um, as they continue to focus on their go-to bank initiatives, et cetera. And so, you know, I think people need to be a little bit more open-minded to collaboration in the face of competition. And one last thing I'll say about that, at, at scale, you look at the big tech companies, right? All of them, they're, they're very incestual. Microsoft, Facebook, uh, you know, Apple, they all are invested in each other and they all have like these partnerships and integrations and sometimes they fight and bicker. But, you know, if you're really going after something grandiose, I think uh, collaboration with your competitors is inevitable. Yeah. And I want to end on one last question. If there is something you could go back and tell Craig before he was founding a company, what would that be? Found a company now. Mm -hmm. So the, the one thing I would have done, I don't regret anything I've done. I love my experiences and everything I've um, um, had uh, ex experience and insight into to get to this point. But I always say if I could do it again, like I was a big basketball player. I played Division One basketball, played professionally overseas, blah, blah, blah. All these things that I was into in my teens and my 20s. If I could do it again, I would have started a lemonade stand at 12 and became an entrepreneur found my way to tech by 18 and been all in sooner. Um, that's the only thing that I would probably change. <laughs> that is a great note to end on. And I had no idea you were a basketball player, but when I met you in person, one of the first things I thought was, <laughs> wow, he's tall. So that makes complete sense now. Yeah, I'm one of the tallest guys in tech. Maybe not the tallest, but one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. You're right up there with, I think, like Adam Newman's really tall. Yep. Uh, there's a few others out there that I can think of as indeed, well. Indeed, indeed. Uh, but thank you so much for joining us. This was great. I told you this was going to go fast. That was 20 minutes already. It flies by. Yeah, I enjoyed um, it. That is all we have for today's episode of Tux Time. Join me again on Tuesday, not Monday, Tuesday, when we have a very special episode of Tux Time with some breaking news from a special guest. Otherwise, thank you, Craig, for joining us, and we'll have you back on again soon. Yeah, look forward to it.